Pennsylvania. I was excited for your intro, but I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so t- today's going to be my last episode. <laughs> I can compose myself. Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 35, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. In this episode, we will be discussing the Academy Award winning 1994 Disney animated film, The Lion King, directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff. The film stars the vocal talents of Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Matthew Broderick, James Earl Jones, among others. I am joined today by Pride Rock resident, Sarah Alexander. Yep, yep, yep. Sneaky hyena, Craig Moore. Mufasa. <laughs> and Hakuna Matata life coach, Chris McMullen. Meh. That is definitely something Chris would teach. <laughs> the art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys think of The Lion King? The whole time I just could not get out of my own head thinking that Nala and Simba are brother and sister. Because I was looking at this and I was like, how do lion prides work? Like it is typically one man and multiple females. So I was like, so where would Nala have come from? I was like, oh, also Mufasa. That's how you keep the bloodline pure, Sarah. <laughs> That's how they do it in Schreiber, at least, right? Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Otherwise, I thought it was enjoyable. Compared to some of the other Disney movies on our list, I don't know that it stood out for me beyond like the catchy music and the fun song combos. The Lion King, to me, didn't really do anything too special. One of the big themes in it is just the hero's story, right? Little hero runs away because something bad happened, and then he meets someone who teaches him a different way to look at things and then goes back to save the day. It's just a standard hero's story. If you look online, there's a lot of talk about, maybe we'll get into it a little bit later, about the subtle things that this movie is indoctrinating and into children and stuff. But I gotta tell you, my takeaway from this story is just, it's a pretty boring story about a lion going to kill his uncle all right i got two well thought out points that's two more than usual yeah i know right (laughs) they're written down and everything this is social darwinism propaganda and secondly if you cut out the songs it would still suck but at least it would be shorter (laughs) yeah fucking fair those are fair points chris and you know what Normally, I don't really agree with you when you get into the super deep subtleties in movies where you really got to dig to see what you want to see. But the social Darwinism thing, I remember when I was watching this, I was like, wow, this is some shit. <laughs> like, you got all these these animals worshipping the animals that eat them. What the fuck is with that? They're like on their knees, bowing their head to the next king that is going to be in charge of devouring them. That's fine. If you don't bow, you'll be next on the plate, Craig. Right? And hyenas are the bad guys just because they don't want to starve to death, I guess. Like, yep. fuck me, I guess, right? Yeah, for sure. Did you know what's really interesting? At the time they made this, they thought hyenas were just scavengers, but they're actually quite good predators, so much so that sometimes lions will steal their kills. Interesting. Wow. I always love fun facts, popping them in there early. I don't know, this Disney era always features such beautiful hand-drawn animation. Comparing this to like a Wally, like this was so much more beautiful. It had so much more life and so much character. However, uh, 
aside from looking at it, experiencing it, I felt like the narrative was riddled with so many problems that it was hard to overlook. My complaints are kind of across the board, so I don't really know the, the best way to do this, but I made a couple bullet points here. First point is, as you said, Craig, this is a hero's story, but I, it was actually marketed as like a coming of age story for Simba, but I guess, I guess those coincide with each other. It's not really a coming of age story because he does learn a lot about himself, but he leaves Pride Rock and learns to build these lasting relationships with Timon and Pumbaa and they don't say oh this is how you grow this is how you learn they hippie shame him into abandoning his happiness to go back and fight this stupid archaic war for this system that clearly doesn't work because Scar ruined the whole pride land in three months or three years or however long it's been I don't know man Simba went out and he found his own happiness and his dead ghost dad was like no you must rule with the monarchy how dare you have fun eating bugs and singing songs in the forest with your hippie friends I don't know I think that's the wrong message to spread especially for like a kids movie I want the message to be find your happiness wherever it may be not listen to your elders and <laughs> continue propagating these stupid systems it's so weird violence is the way well said Jordan well there was a certain there was a little bit of it that was about taking responsibility for what your responsibilities are and was it really Simba's responsibility to go back and confront Scar and take you know control back and free everybody from that whatever maybe maybe not but maybe the lesson that they're trying to teach here is the hard path is sometimes the path you have to walk not every path you're going to walk is going to be diving into lagoons and eating bugs and getting high with your friends. Sometimes <laughs> it's going to be a tough thing that you need to do and you're not going to like it, but it needs to get done because if you don't do it, your friends and family are going to suffer. These dumbass lionesses, they couldn't also wander across a desert for two days to find a grand oasis on their own. Like, yeah, just leave Scar. Just fuck him. But you can't just leave Scar. He's the only lion. He's the only male lion. <laughs> Who cares? This is part of the new generation's mantra of live your best life. Don't let your parents force you to have kids. <laughs> this is just like toxic patriarchy. In reality, the f female lions would have like just yeah. fucked off. Like they do the most of the hunting. Everyone has their turn with Scar and then you bury all your babies in the new forest jungle and then leave them no, behind. Go find another couple lions. Yeah, that's true. And Mufasa doesn't give a shit about his daughters who would actually need to know the lands because they're the ones that are going out to hunt to bring back the food versus just his idiotic son who he's showing the territory who never has to do anything. Is it possible the other lionesses are teaching the young lionesses Show how to hunt? Show me that story. Show me that but story. But it's called the Lion King, Sarah, not the Lion <laughs> Queen. The, the Lion Queens. <laughs> it would have been a better movie if it wasn't about like a lazy patriarch. The Lion King, in which we have a two hour story of Nala <laughs> learning how to hunt with her mother. <laughs> And overthrowing Scar. Yeah, that would have been better story. Have her stupid half-brother kill off the dad and buy into Scar's plan, but then have her save the day. That's not a 90s approach to storytelling. No. How on earth could those hyenas cause that much ecological damage? <laughs> What was the time lapse here? I need to know. I wondered that too. Yeah. The idea is that the hyenas were never able to get into the Pride Lands and hunt because Mufasa always kept them out. And then when Mufasa died, more predators moved in and that disturbed the chain, the, the food chain, the circle of life. The circle Because there was too many predators. Yeah. There was too many mouths to feed. Capitalist propaganda. Without the one at the head, everyone goes hungry. I have another point that kind of piggies back off of that. When Simba goes out, he learns about Hakuna Matata, this past 
pacifist lifestyle. He starts eating grubs, and what should be a huge moment for this character doesn't really have an impact on the final act of the movie. Instead of taking what he learned away from Pride Rock and using that to solve issues, he just diverts back to battling, essentially. It felt like it really disjointed the acts of the film. I would have really liked to see that development arc build into the climax and the solution instead of being almost worthless in the final conflict. Yeah, I agree with that, Jordan. And there's so many things that could have been tied in nicely, right? Like Mufasa taught us this story about the circle of the food chain and how, you know, we eat the antelope and then we die and we turn into grass, the antelope eat us. And then you go on this adventure with Simba where none of that matters because you just get to eat bugs. You can totally remove yourself from the food chain. So who cares? There was <laughs> an opportunity probably during that point to show that even though you can try to remove yourself from the food chain, you can't. No matter what you do, you're still going to be attached to everything around you. But they didn't do that. They just said, the circle of life matters until you wander across the desert and find an oasis and chill out with the pig and the meerkat, eating bugs and diving into the water. And it only matters if you decide it matters and want to jump back into the food chain later. <laughs> Could Simba only eat bugs for three years and still be strong enough to fight Scar. <laughs> Maybe. And ma the reason I say that is because I don't think there was a lot of food for Scar either because there wasn't any food for anyone. Yeah, and Scar fair. was already an inferior specimen. Yeah, yeah, he was already weak. Hippie child goes off, lives a more sustainable lifestyle <laughs> with a diverse group of friends only to, only to be pulled back into his murderous family where he ends up killing his, uh, killing his uh, uncle and uh, assuming control of the family business. I like how he kills his uncle, but they don't let that happen. And they're like, through a series of events, the uncle dies, but Simba wasn't directly at fault, so he's still a good guy. No. <laughs> Yeah. Felt like that ending was so rushed. Simba just gets in there. Scar guilt trips him into admitting that he killed his father, which in Zero Universe makes sense because with any hindsight, he would realize, oh, I was being played like a fucking fiddle. But anywho, they build this moment where there's a lot of like tension. The herd's like, oh, you, you did this? It was you? And he's like, it was me. And then instead of milking that and building a sense of tension and really getting the audience involved, Scar's like immediately like, ah, it was me. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> killed Mufasa and all of that tension immediately evaporates and then the story wraps itself up I think the whole ending sequence where he confronts him is like a 10 minutes too short and probably only like eight minutes long in itself it just felt so underwhelming it felt like there was no payoff that was satisfying no part of this movie was too short I paused it and it was about an hour through and so there was only 30 minutes left and it was just him turning into an adult and I was like holy shit like that flew by so yeah <laughs> in the last 30 minutes you have to get him back to pride rock have this confrontation like it, yeah it did feel super rushed the most anxiety inducing part of this movie to me was the sega genesis level where you've got to bounce <laughs> on the hippo heads and like i'd never beat that level i must have played that game for hours i never got past that part so i'm watching simba running through like jumping on the giraffes and shit i'm like oh yeah it's easy when you're a lion wow. that's such a deep cut i swear to god i'm the only one who will find that funny but i love <laughs> that you said it. It's funny because back in the day they used to do totally different versions of games. So not only did you have a badass Lion King Genesis game, but you also had an equally badass but totally different Super Nintendo version of Lion King. Do you guys want to talk about characters at all? We should talk about a couple of them. Just, you know, the big ones. Oh my god, my boy fucking Timon, the god king himself? <laughs> Timon saved any, any amount of fun this movie had. The writing and the delivery. 
So Timon was kind of like the genie of this movie, right? He was the one who told the jokes that were almost adult jokes. Yeah, I don't, the kids wouldn't understand anything Timon fucking said ever. Yeah. Which is funny because that's my favorite part of the movie. So I'm like, okay, if the kids don't get that, where are the kids deriving satisfaction from? Simba was a little fucker for half the <laughs> film and an asshole, which is fine. You can grow a character that way. When he's singing about how I'm the fucking best, I'm gonna rule and I'm gonna fire yeah. you, Zazu, you dumb piece of shit. I'm like, no, fuck you, Simba. You're an asshole. That song was actually, when I was watching it, it it's actually kind of sad because yeah. you understand that he, he's excited to be king and the ruler, but he doesn't even understand what that means because he can't rule until his dad dies. So he's wishing for the worst thing possible to happen to him. A day later, he's singing about how now he has no worries for the rest of his days through his dad dying. I think there was a time skip. I think there might have been a little bit, you know, it, it takes a little while to walk through the desert. I don't know. 50 years? No, but I, yeah, to your point, <laughs> Craig, I think that really hammers in the sense of innocence that Simba has. He's totally inexperienced. He has basically everything handed to him and he's just starting to learn these lessons. His father's just finally trying to take him out and teach him some responsibility. So I think it works from like a narrative perspective. You want to talk about Mufasa? He's like a good dad until he comes back as an idiot ghost asshole. But did he? Or did that just happen in Simba's head? Was Simba just hearing what he thought mm. he needed to hear? Simba smoked one too many grubs. <laughs> <All those> grubs. <laughs> no, Simba, not that mushroom. <laughs> Simba was doing a lot of drugs. I don't think Mufasa was because you think at some point he would have been like, look, your uncle, we don't really trust him. Don't listen to him. No one gave him the heads up that this is a sketch bag. Maybe he would have later, but he was pretty young. Yeah, but still, wouldn't he be like, how come Uncle Scar is never here? Do you know how bad this movie is? I don't like the bad guy. <laughs> when I was watching this, I was thinking, I wonder how the peeps are going to feel about Scar because Scar is just evil. He's just a envious monster. He doesn't even want to rule for any reason other than he just thinks he's so much smarter than mm -hmm. everybody else. So therefore he should rule. Like there's no plan. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? No, absolutely not. Everyone wants a revolution, but no one thinks about what's going to happen after the revolution. No. Right? We're all going to rule. Well, we can't all rule, right? Some people need to grow food and scar's villain songs mm -hmm. suck yeah be prepared so this song he's singing with the hyenas about how he's gonna kill simba and he's gonna kill mufasa and the words are menacing and cruel but the song is like oddly upbeat and it contrasts in a way that's just awkward these musical elements should be way more dissonant to build that atmosphere and build scar's character as this brooding bad guy and not like the flamboyant black sheep uncle like i don't know they could have made him feel more like a big bad and i feel like they dropped the ball there it's it doesn't even come close it mm. doesn't come close hellfire just ruins all the disney villain songs anyway because it's so damn good but like this one wasn't really close. between this movie and little mermaid and hercules it really makes me worry about what's going on with aunts and uncles over <laughs> My fun fact is that originally the storyline was that Scar wants to have an inappropriate relationship with Nala and that's why she winds up leaving. But they left that out of the film because they didn't want to deal with sexual assault. But it is apparently in the stage production, which I have not seen. I've seen it. It's actually really cool. Also, all I remember about Nala is when she meets Simba and she gives him those fuck me eyes when she lays down. I'm not gonna, I was a little bit aroused. I'm just gonna <laughs> come, out right, come out right now. Where do you rank her in your Popcorn Peeps top base? Oh God, uh, maybe like, mm, like top four maybe. <laughs>
<laughs> I just threw up in my mouth. She's definitely giving him fucking. I know. But here, here's the thing, though, is like Simba probably is so fucking confused right now because he just grew up, but she's been through it. Also, she comes back and she's met him for 13 seconds, and she's like, "Yeah, I want me some of that." Yeah, but it's like it's it's not Scar, right? She's in she's into anyone who's yeah. not Scar. That's her only other choice. <laughs> and that leads us into another cringy song. Can you feel the love tonight? Is fine as a song, but but. They met for eight seconds and it's so heavy handed yeah. to all of a sudden bring out this bombastic. Can you feel the love? <laughs> like, what am I at? A fucking Italian restaurant? What's going on here? What is this, Braveheart? <laughs> I was just going to say, this may actually be worse than Braveheart. No, just kidding. <laughs> the romance in this, and and you know, you guys know Love Craig. Craig love, you guys Craig know loves Craig. Love story. He loves a love story. <laughs> this love story is a. It's <laughs> terrible. So far, probably the best love story we've seen and i'm just going off memory not off my list here but it's probably beauty and the beast beauty and the beast was a much better film than lion king like substantially in almost every regard H how far apart were they beauty and the beast was like 92 wasn't it 10 years oh 91 and this was 94 yeah it's so like three years before oh really only three years i thought it was like like seven Disney was cranking these things out in the 90s. Just printing. They were just printing. <laughs> this is my other fact. So this was done at the same time as Pocahontas, and Pocahontas is what Disney had their money on as being oh. the big hit. So this was hmm. considered their B movie, but it wound up raking in many more dollars. A lot of the talent at Disney chose to work on Pocahontas specifically because they thought it was a more prestigious film and they were going to cement their name down in history. But funny how that works sometimes. Should have waited for Avatar. My fun fact is Lion King one and a half is the best fucking sequel title of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. It's just Timon and Pumbaa fucking off for an hour and a half. All Disney sequels are hot garbage. That sounds better than this movie. No, Disney's straight to video sequels are the worst. Yeah, this movie wasn't that good. Chris, I loved your... The music was the best part. It would have been better without the music because then it would have been shorter. That's beauty. No, my quote was, they should have cut out the music but it because it would still suck, but at least it would be shorter. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have anything you want to bring up before we chat about the music? I don't even care about the music. Uh, okay, so the music in this film was composed by Hans Zimmer. My fucking man. <laughs> He is everywhere with lyricist Tim Rice. The music in this movie, IMO, as I've said, is a mixed bag. I complained a lot about Be Prepared as well as Can You Feel the Love? But you got some bangers here. Circle of Life and Kuna Matata are great songs that have enough sticking power to like latch onto your brain and last 15, 20 years. Like it's insane how memorable these songs are. And they're super cool to experience. Does it make them good? Though? They're good. They're off. No, they're good. The song that never ends is in there forever as well. It doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Thanks, Lamb Chop. No, they're earworms, but they're not good. <laughs> Shelly, who's like the nicest person in the world, was like, this. I, oh, thank you. Now this is stuck in my head again. <laughs> my mom used to sing Kuna Matata all the time, and it just has so many good memories <laughs> attached to it. Yes, we get it. You had a nice childhood. Thanks. Ha <laughs> ha, losers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't matter, though, because those aren't the best songs. The best song in this movie and one of the best Disney songs ever written, even up there with Hellfire, is called <laughs> To Die For. And it is such a sleeper. It doesn't get any respect because it has no words. Hans Zimmer absolutely fucking nails this. It is incredible. I implore everyone listening, check out To Die For from the Lion King 1994 soundtrack. Do you guys hear it? I linked it half an hour ago. It is pretty good. 
Let's go! It, it is pretty good. And I remember actually when I was watching the movie and this music started and it gets your anxiety up, it gets your blood pumping. And I was thinking, God, I, why don't I remember this song from the first time I watched? It's, I think it's when the water buffalo herd is stampeding through the valley and it's super intense. I think they also play a little bit of it during the final battle. It's, it's awesome. It's so high octane and it's not cliche and it's intricate and interesting and well composed. The only other note I have is I really like that this movie deals with death despite being an all ages film because uh, contrary to what a ratings board will tell you, you don't just experience death when you're 14 or older. And so I think it's I think it handles it in a really appropriate way. I think the moment where Mufasa dies is is very sad and you feel for Simba and it's one of the few moments in the film where you can you feel for this guy and that that's what kind of really destabilizes this arrogant attitude and really makes him vulnerable and open i think more open to what timon and pumbaa are telling him felt nothing for him i wanted to like mufasa's character but it just seemed and i'm sorry lord vader but it seemed like james earl jones was just reading off a script for a lot of it look simba all the land the light touches is yours but what about that shadowy place over there <clears throat> you must never go there simba like it was doing nothing for me Craig, you were in the movie. You sounded so good. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to bring up is, do you guys have any uh, interest in seeing or have you seen the 2019 uh, photorealistic remake? I have not. No and no. So after I watched Lion King, I watched maybe 20 minutes of the remake just because it was on Disney Plus and I was skipping through it to see kind of how did they change things or like what different characters look like. And they stripped all of the fun out of Scar. They took away all of his British aristocrat like, type of flamboyance. And so he becomes even more vanilla. And I was like, I can't do this. This is terrible. It hurt my eyes. It was awful. Don't ever watch it. Imagine being one dimensional in a two dimensional movie. Did you get to the Nala? Oh my god, I didn't even go to the Nala scene. I okay. want to see Jordan's reaction to live action. <laughs> oh my god, screen cap it and that can be our screen cap. It's not live action, it's just a different animated movie. It's just a different cartoon. Oh, live action. No, it's a real lion. <laughs> It's a, it's a real lion, guy. That's how I felt about, uh, off just for a second here, but that's how I felt about Avatar. It's just like, oh, I'm just looking at a good looking cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Okay, so if you're following along with the YouTube video, there's a link at the top of the description or at popcornpeeps.com to check out where we've placed the films we've seen so far. But uh, Sarah, where are you going to put Lion King amongst the films we've seen? I am putting Lion King in position 23, below Wally and above All the President's Men. Rolling down, rolling down. All right. <laughs> I have put this in position number 32. In my estimation, this is worse than Seven Samurai. I actually would watch Seven Samurai again before I'd watch Lion King again. I think Seven Samurai is a better film, but I think just based on the art and some of the music, I enjoyed elements of this more, but as a package, Seven Samurai is probably better. I'm gonna pop it at 29 below Ghostbusters and above Deer Hunter. This is not the best hero story we've seen. It's not the best love story we've seen. It's not the best animated movie we've seen. In fact, there is nothing about this movie that wasn't done better somewhere else. It's at best a D plus movie. It's going in 28th below Pan's Labyrinth and may God have mercy on its soul. I think To Die For is the best song 
on the list. I think it's the best piece of music from any of the 35 films we've seen. Uh, I would like to draw your attention to The Return of the King. Uh, okay, that's fair. That's valid. That's definitely at least the second best song on the list so far. Why do we think this was on the list? Probably because it sold a F ton of tickets. I think it's just synonymous with Disney at this point. It was one of their biggest per- or biggest films in terms of popularity. It was adapted into like a stage performance. It's just everywhere. I know a lot of people who look back on this fondly and maybe they haven't seen it since they were kids. It just seems to be always in people's top three, top five Disney yeah, films maybe. of all yeah. time for whatever reason. It doesn't hold up. It does not. No. You know what? Actually, if this is your, if this is, and this is no joke, if this is one of your favorite movies, I would be really interested in knowing why it is because I watch this movie and I, I'm having a lot of trouble trying to find any redeeming qualities worthy of putting it on this list. And if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong and tell me why, because I really don't understand. On that note, Chris, what are we watching in episode 36 of Popcorn Peeps? Kind of excited because it's a it's one that is people talk about all the time. I've never seen 1980s Raging Bull is a boxing movie with Robert De Niro. I'm excited to see how it compares to Rocky. Which, what what was the release year? 80. Okay, so isn't that the same time-ish? They're in the same time period, but I think it's a very different movie. Interesting. Well, it'll be cool to see the same, uh, same focus targeted from like maybe a different perspective or a diff- different angle. There'll be no getting stronger, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> there better be some getting stronger in a boxing movie. Where can our audience check that out? Not on a lot of platforms for free. If you have EC2 TV, which looks like a French a French CBC streaming uh, thing, if I'm looking at it correctly, or MGM on Prime, you can get that with your subscription. Otherwise, rent or buy on Cineplex, Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, all the usual suspects. It is conspicuously absent on the Netflix. Well, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. I'd like to extend a special thank you to those who support the show and keep it on podcast platforms. Special thank you to Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Ryan Saarinen, Frank Costa, Sarah Renier, Craig Lewis, and Buster Hyman. If you would like to support the show, you can do so on patreon.com slash popcornpeeps, link in the description, or on popcornpeeps.com. Until next time, thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you later. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. I'm so sorry for this episode. Bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good bookend. <laughs>